Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. One of the most endearing aspects in my relationship with God is the fact that He is my home. And in the strangest and most mystical of ways, I am the home of God. My body, the Bible would teach, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, my very spirit has become one with the Spirit of God. And inasmuch as I live in Him, He also lives within me. At one time, I did not know God. And as it were, he was just outside of me, some objective deity somewhere in the heavens. But upon my encounter with God, there was an an indwelling that occurred. I experienced God coming into my being. And I had the strangest experience of coming into God. Um, A little bit like a marriage where the two become one. For those of us who are born of the Spirit of God, you should experience such a mystical oneness, such a indwelling. We may even use the word engrafting. Uh, I am grafted into God and God is in a way in me. And we call that the subjective experience of God. And this is where prayer for me has its depth, has its uh, footing, has its uh, foundation, if you will, is that I don't pray to reach the God in the heavens. I pray to live and move and have my being with God who lives within me. Of course, Jesus taught that our Father is in heaven. And of course, God is over all of the universe and over all of the cosmos. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But in the New Covenant, we don't go to a temple to engage God. We, we don't, as it were, just look up to the sky anymore to engage God. The most outstanding Um, mind-boggling aspect of the new covenant is that God can actually, the very God of the heavens, the very eternal, uncreated, almighty, all-powerful God, by His Spirit, can also come and make His home within me. And so prayer, for me, is less an issue of trying to reach God out there, and it's more enjoying God who is in here. I want to fellowship this issue with you just a little bit further where prayer is actually making just a house for God to dwell in. Uh, Prayer is, yes, we petition. Yes, we, we present our cares before the Lord. Yes, in faith, we pray for this, we pray for that. Uh, like Elijah, yes, we, we are fervent. Uh, all of that is beautiful. 
And all of that is needed and all of that is to be practiced. But allow me to just be a little bit more nuanced with you and perhaps even just a little bit more mystical. Isn't it interesting that the gospel writers, both Matthew and Mark and Luke, narrates the story of Jesus cleansing the temple? You may know the story rather well where he goes in and he says, you know, this is a den of thieves and a den of robbers and it's full of money changers and it's a place of commerce. And Jesus, he overthrows the tables and he drives out the money changers and he he says these profound words that my house or my father's house is to be called a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer, Mark would say, for all nations. It's not just for the Jewish people anymore. It's for all the peoples of the earth. But notice carefully, my house should be a house of prayer. And there is a direct correlation between prayer and the indwelling with God by way of metaphor um, a house where both husband and wife uh, and family lives within the household setting. And so this is where I get this experience that prayer is communion with God through mutual indwelling. Prayer is not just to petition God. Prayer is not just to communicate to God my needs. Prayer at its deepest is just to live and dwell with God in oneness. Apparently, it is the desire of God that the house at that time in uh, Jesus's day was the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem, or we, we would say Herod's temple. At the time, that was the house of God. It started in the Old Testament with the tabernacle and it progressed to Solomon's temple. Um, and then, of course, in Jesus's day, the, the megalithic structure of Herod's temple. And Jesus says it's a house. And what was really the purpose of the house? Was it the priests doing all the services? all the sacrifices, all the worship and liturgical rituals? Um, was it the candles? Was it the bread? Was it the incense? Was it the altar? Um, yes, of course, all of that was a part of it. But dig a little bit deeper. What was the purpose of the tabernacle, that tent? What was the purpose really for the temple? Was it not for the Shekinah glory of God to come and dwell reside and make his home among the people on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of the Holies. That was the purpose. Everything else was beautiful. Everything else had its place. It had its season in the week and in the month and in the year. But by the time Jesus comes around some 2,000 years ago, there was actually a temple, but there was no Ark of the Covenant in the temple because that uh, Ark had been removed in 586 when Nebuchadnezzar seized uh, Jerusalem at the time and the temple was demolished and uh, uh, Jerusalem was, was raised. Um, and so when Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple uh, after the 70-year exile, they had the structure of the temple at that time. They had the shell, 
but there was no Ark of the Covenant. And so the Shekinah glory, uh, as it were, never touched down and came to dwell uh, in that temple like it did back in Solomon's day and like it did back in Moses' day. And that was all for a good reason, because God would eventually send his son, a living human being, to come and live among his people. And God transitioned the covenant from a building uh, gilded with gold and uh, uh, whitewashed and marbled and uh, uh, an edifice made by the hands of man. God was transitioning it to humanity. And so when Jesus says here, my house shall be called a house of prayer, um, by that time, there was no prayer, an indwelling of God kind of a prayer in the Jerusalem temple. There was just commerce. There was liturgical prayers. There are ample evidence of all the prayers that were prayed before this sacrifice and before that washing and before this trumpet and before this meal, etc., etc. So did they pray? Yes. But the prayer that God is after is the prayer of homemaking, the prayer of indwelling, the prayer of fellowship and communion, not just the prayer of checking the list and saying the right words before you wash and before you drink and before you eat and, 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 and at the celebrations, etc., etc. In Isaiah there is a fantastic conclusion to the 66 chapters of that particular prophecy. And in chapter 66, verse 1 and 2, you can just hear the ache of God for the Jewish people at that time. You know, they had the temple. There, there was an ark. Uh, they had the bells and the whistles and the ceremonies, and they, they had the performance down, and they had it all. But if you read Isaiah 66, verse 1, the Lord says, and you can almost hear, if you will, an ache in the voice of God. He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. In other words, I am big. I am uh, almighty. I am transcendent over time and space. And then God asks, where is the house that you will build for me? That indicates God wants a house. <laughs> he wants to dwell actually somewhere. And he asks, where is the place of my rest? It's almost as though God is restless. And that beautiful temple that Solomon built with all of the bells and whistles and all of the services of the priesthood, it still does not cause God to rest. There's not the indwelling. There's not the ingrafting. There's not the real abiding of oneness in a house, the, the, the family dynamic that God is after, the, the communion and fellowship dynamic that God is really after. And so isn't it interesting that God is restless. You know, it was Augustine who said that we are restless until we rest in God. But this sounds to me in Isaiah as though God is restless until he rests in, in us. So you, can, you ask yourself the question, how can an eternal God 
who is self-sufficient. He needs nothing. He lacks nothing. How can he be restless? Well, he's restless for this home-making burden that he has uh, with mankind, you know, as it is in the heavens, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is living in this intricate union, this mystical union, this, this home, as it were. He wants that very hominess to be here on earth, and he wants that hominess to be with you and I, the people of all nations. How can God be restless? Well, you, you, you remember in John 24, uh, Jesus was saying to the woman at the well, my father is seeking those who will worship him. You say, but how can God be seeking? Is he not satisfied? Is he not content? Yeah, it's as though the, the worship in the temple and all the, the rituals and the ceremonies, it's not quite what God is after. His house is to be a house of prayer. There's to be uh, intimacy with God. And yet our worship and our songs and our dancing and our shofar blowing, and it's not doing it for God. So he's restless in Isaiah, and he is seeking in John chapter 4. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, God would say, My hands have made all of these things, earth and everything in it. He says, but on this, I will look. This is where my attention is going to go. I will look upon the person who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. I'm not going to look at a building gilded with gold. I'm not looking at a cathedral. I'm not going to look at some beautiful uh, church structure, if you will. That is not my house. In fact, um, this is just my opinion. Take it or leave it. I do not think it is appropriate for us as Christians to say we're going to the house of God or a church building is the house of God. I believe with all of my heart uh, a church cannot be poor and contrite and, and tremble at the word of God insofar it's a structure. The only being that's capable to be poor and contrite uh, of heart and tremble at the word of God is a human being. So God is looking to human beings to dwell with human beings. And beloved, this is really what prayer is all about. Prayer is not about how eloquent we speak to God, how informative we are towards Him regarding our needs, or how uh, 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 proclaiming we are of His promises. He knows all of that. He's made all of this. He knows all things. And what He's aching for is just to dwell. You remember well in Matthew chapter 23, as Jesus is scolding all of the religious leaders of his day, as he's concluding that woe chapter of Matthew 23, he says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to just gather you as, as children, and bring you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. 
Can you not just feel the burden of God? He's he's just done with prayers. He's done with liturgy. He's just done with performance. He's done with us just being like chickens scattered all over the place. He just wants family. And he wants to bring us into his bosom and, and hug us. That is a picture of a father coming home and just taking his family in his arms and oh, embracing. And that is what prayer is about. This is what Christ is after. It's just can our heart embrace him and can we allow him to embrace us? And he says it here in Matthew 23. He says, you know, I, I wanted to gather you. I wanted to embrace you, but you were not willing. So why are we not willing? Well, it's because we have a skewed understanding as to what God is after. He's after love. He's after fellowship. He's after communion. He's after an abiding relationship. You know, John chapter 15 and uh, gives this wonderful example of the vine and the branch. But do you know that John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 is a singular message of God dwelling in man and man dwelling in God. And he uses that example, of course, in John 15 of the vine and the branch mutually indwelling one another. And, and that is the kernel of the message of Jesus Christ, John 14, and the example in John 15. In John 16, he says, this is going to happen through the Holy Spirit, who's going to be the spirit of reality, and he's going to accomplish this. And then, as you well know, in John 17, Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer for this unity, us with one another, and then, of course, us with him and with the Father. And that is the heart of God. And he says in Matthew, you, Jerusalem, were not willing. Why? Because we're too religious. We've got this service to God figured out. Have you even listened how modern Christians talk about we're going to the first service, the second service, the, the noonday service, the midnight service, the evening service? We actually call our gatherings together services. And it just shows you where our emphasis uh, is, is located, is we got to do something for God. He's needy, uh, so we got to sing. Uh, we got to pray. In a way, pardon the French, we have to perform. I'm not so sure that's what God wanted all along. Otherwise, he would not be restless. He would not be seeking. In Matthew 22, he concludes, he says, because you were not willing to let me gather you and live and pray in a homey setting. He says, your house is left to you empty, desolate. And so we know that the Shekinah never came down in Jerusalem. God never indwelt that temple, you know, since the destruction in 586. And so there was a shell with the appearance of godliness, the ritual of godliness, the tradition of godliness. And you and I can very much be like this. I could have the form of godliness, but I don't have the reality of communion with God. So, beloved, you have to uh, search your heart. Is prayer just another transactional experience between you and God? Lord, I pray an hour then you do this for me.
God, I fast today, then you do that for me. God, I will uh, pray this way, pray that way, perform this way, rehearse this way, say it this way, shout it that way, sing it this way. And then, God, you do something for me. Beloved, rightfully, we are exhorted to knock and the door shall be opened and to seek and to find and to ask. And yes, there's a time and place for all of that. But Jesus's heart is that he would live in us and move and have his being in us, his glory. Paul would say in Colossians, Christ in me is the hope of glory. This is what our Lord is after. Beloved, are you willing to just be okay in God's presence as you are with your friends and your family in a home setting? You don't have to perform to be the friend. You just sit down and you eat and you enjoy and you talk and you fellowship. And it's a it's a mutual flow of energy, of attention of love, of grace, of camaraderie, of trust. Is this not what prayer is all about? Beloved, do you pray in such a way where you can just say, God, I'm your home. Come and rest in me. God, I am found by you. Stop seeking. Here I am. I have this in my own life, beloved. When I crawl in bed at night and I am done with certain things, I like to roll over on my side and, as it were, create like a little cocoon. It's, it's my quirky way of creating a little home. And I have this prayer that I utter before the Lord that has been with me for decades. I would say, Lord, rest in me. Sleep in me. And I present my body and my soul and my spirit just as the home of God. And that... It's the sweetest communion just about I have with my Lord. It's just inviting him to wrap his arms around me, to stop searching, to stop being restless, and just come and just be with me. And I tell you, I wake up so refreshed being at home with God. Continue with your fervent prayer. Continue with your intercessory prayer. Continue with all of those beautiful and needed things. But, yeah, cultivate under the instruction and leading of the Holy Spirit a home setting for the Lord. And welcome Him as a way of life into you, not just as a prayer time here or a prayer time there or a morning time here or evening time, but make your being available to God as a house and let the glory dwell there. I have um, two books that I want to bring to your attention that develops this theme uh, most beautifully. The first book I read back in the 90s, and of course, it's by my favorite author of all time, Gene Edwards. And he wrote for me, one of the most outstanding books in Christendom called The Divine Romance. If ever you could get your hand on a copy of The Divine Romance or the audio version thereof, it is well worth your time and your attention. Because in it, Gene Edwards develops the eternal theme of God, the ache, the burden to dwell with man and for man to dwell with God. I read it back in the 90s, and it 
launched a trajectory in my walk with God that was not performance-based, but communion-based and fellowship-based. I also want to bring to your attention a friend of mine's work, um, Frank Viola. He has beautiful writings on the, the hominess of God. And there's two of them that I want to bring to your attention. One of them is called From uh, Eternity to Here, uh, or From Here to Eternity. I think I may have gotten that wrong. And he speaks a little bit, again, about the panoramic uh, uh, view of, of the scriptures and the will of God, the desire of God to dwell with man, to love man, and for man to dwell with God. But Frank also wrote a smaller uh, book that is just stunning, and it is called God's Favorite Place on Earth. And it's Bethany, just a little bit east of Jerusalem, where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived, the friends of Jesus. And they provided a home for the Lord. God's favorite place on earth, well worth your time and uh, your attention. Beloved, the house of God is my body, my being, my spirit. And he says, my house should be called a house of prayer. So ask the Holy Spirit then to make your being God's favorite place on earth and posture and position yourself to dwell with God and let him dwell with you. Beloved, I wish you a stunning, enjoyable prayer life with God of mutual abiding, mutual conversation, mutual engagement, mutual joy. Oh, he is worthy to be enjoyed and host him in your house and just let him sit and eat with your Lord. Remember, Jesus stands and he knocks and he wants to come in. Well, you knock at the door of a house. That is, you are the house. He's knocking there in Revelation 3 and, and let him in and come feast with you and enjoy, enjoy, and enjoy this wonderful Lord of yours. In Jesus' name.